Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Apolitical is a peer-to-peer learning platform for governments around the world. Using their fully online platform, they bring to public servants the sharing and ongoing learning of the latest and best ideas through their courses, events, articles, and by fostering a global community. I'm joined on this episode by the co-founders of Apolitical to discuss how they started their organization, how they help public servants learn, and insights on what it takes to create a thriving global learning community. Robin Scott and Lisa Witter are co-founders of Apolitical, which they launched in 2017. And one short year later, it was named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies. Today, Robin is the CEO of Apolitical, and Lisa is the CEO of Apolitical Foundation. Together with a team of about 60 employees, They are transforming workplace training by making it continuous and engaging learning within a global community of like-minded peers. Thank you very much, Robin and Lisa, for joining me. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. I'm so thrilled to be talking to the two of you for many different reasons, for the wonderful work that you do with public servants around the world and the trainings and the insights that you provide and bring people together, and also you as entrepreneurs in the learning space, creating this wonderful company that does really global and effective learning and building community. So I can't wait to hear more about that. But can you first tell me a little bit about yourselves and the different roles that you play with Apolitical and the Apolitical Foundation. So maybe we can start with Robin? Sure. So um, I run the the company, Apolitical, the company. My background coming to this, I was brought up in New Zealand and mainly Botswana. And as this is a learning podcast, I'll mention that I didn't go to school until I was 15 years old. I was homeschooled in the middle of the bush in Botswana. And that certainly informed a lot of my ideas on what works in learning. And I think when seeing those borne out more and more in formal learning these days, which is very exciting to see. My background is in technology. I did an undergrad in bioinformatics and a postgrad in commercializing science and technology for social good. I've always been interested in applying technology to solve big global problems and have basically been an entrepreneur ever since then. Started several companies and got together with Lisa to create Apolitical. She'll share a little bit about her background. But Apolitical is essentially a network and learning platform for government. Our mission is to build 21st century governments that work for people and the planet. And we do that by making it really easy for public servants anywhere in the world to find and share what's working on common challenges in government, and then to be able to upskill themselves with engaging topics, uh, engaging courses on fundamental topics in 21st century government, be that applying human-centered design, analyzing data, thinking about gender mainstreaming in government, and so on and so forth. 
Oh, fantastic. And your childhood is definitely very interesting. And you wrote a memoir about it, about how you grew up and the, the education that you went through. Can you tell me a little bit about what is unique about your perspective on education, having gone through that experience? I think it's characterized by a few things. First and foremost, it's very applied. When you're, when you're learning through homeschooling, you really learn by doing because there isn't, we didn't have a structured curriculum. So it was very much curiosity led and then um, experimental in nature. And I really believe that is one of the, the best ways to learn. A- another key characteristic would be that you're, you're competing much less against other people than you're competing against yourself. So you know, the definition of failure and success is very different. And I think that allows for a lot more flexibility and possibility in learning because you are neither resting on your laurels just because you've beaten someone else. You know, your, your, your standards can always be higher than a person you're competing with because you set them yourself. But equally, you are not demoralized if you don't do as well as someone else. Uh, you know, so many, so many kids are put off math because they feel they're not as good as their peers and it might just be the wrong timing and they take longer to, they've taken longer to get their head around the, the topic. So I think those those two elements, not being being too constrained by competition and being extremely experimental, um, are particularly powerful. I'm sure that really informed a lot of the work two of you do together as well at Apolitical. So that's really, really interesting. And Lisa, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and the foundation side of it? Sure. So I'll just back up and talk about two stories that brought Robin and myself together. One has to do with her memoir and another has to do with failing democracy or failed democracy that will bring me to the democracy flywheel that will explain sort of why we do this work. So I was introduced um, to Robin, I don't even know how long ago now, by a mutual friend um, who put us together for dinner at a Thai restaurant near Trafalgar Square. I think that's where it was. Robin, I can picture it in my mind. And he, he very ironically, just his name is Christian Bunch and has, has a new book out on serendipity. So he really believes in sort of serendipity and how mm-hmm. things come together. And he said, I want you to meet this young woman who has written a memoir. And I had kind of had my like American, oh, I'm so tired of all these people who are self-promotional at the age of 30. Really? Am I <laughs> going to like meet another person who's written another memoir? Um, and I met Robin. and she had met this, 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 this memoir and we met, but you know, it was nice to meet. And then we left. And then later on, she had undergone um, a moment in her life. She's a deeply reflective, thoughtful person about how to have impact at scale. And I think part of her childhood that really allows her to do that was growing up um, with a dad who was a, a doctor in the bush and had an airplane um, during the AIDS epidemic and was really driven by this sort of urgency to love and to give and, and through technology, she's done that. And you know, she talks about this um, in her book. And so we, I, you know, she was off on sort of finding what she was going to do next. And I have always, which I'll tell you a little bit about me, been at this intersection of politics and policy and entrepreneurship in some sort of way, although deeply more in politics and policy and entrepreneurship just as a route to that space. Right. Um, and what brought us together, actually, is we were both part of a network. Someone said, oh, Lisa's doing this, Robin's doing this. And we had a conversation on a tarmac on Myanmar. And as anyone's watching what's going on in Myanmar right now, um, it's not just that the the public servant might be the place that's holding some of this together, but it's definitely the politics that have um, pulled the country apart in a major way. And that that brings me to the work that that I do at the foundation. So when Robin and I came together, 
we really thought of the work as a democracy flywheel. So at the bottom, you have citizens who sort of say, this is the sort of world that we want. They vote and give the mandate to the politicians who then have that mandate, who then deliver it to the public servants, who then implement um, on that mandate to improve the lives. We hope it's a um, constant cycle. And I think it's important to say at Apolitical that we talk about people on the planet because we, we coexist, right? There, there, there will, won't be people if we don't think about how to really address these environmental issues. So we always had the vision of working on that democracy flywheel, making sure that we thought about learning and networks and platforms and communities, both in the public servant space, but also um, in the political space. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump forward just a second to what we do at the foundation, but to give you a little bit of my background, I was born in 1973. I say that because that was the year really important, boring named legislation came to be in my country called Title IX. It was legislation um, that gave the same amount of money to boys and girls sports if you, if you had girls programs. Famous tennis players like Billie Jean King, she was really behind this. And this, this woman named Ruth Bader Ginsburg at the time was an advocate for women. And I really, in that um, growing up an athlete, I learned how to be competitive, a different framework than, than Robin. We had you know team sports, but we liked winning. And part of that's sort of the American spirit. But I also went to church every Sunday with my grandmother and I was really struck by this sense of service and what sort of career do you go in if you like to win and then have that outcome being making people's lives better and that's politics. So I started in politics is like the moment I had consciousness about how do you bring the right kind of power with the right kind of outcomes, which is where policy and politics um, come together and have done lots of stuff in the in the political space a lot around how to apply behavioral science um, to politics, which has been sort of built into a lot of what we do at Apolitical, which has been really fun. But to step back, we knew that as a, as a, as a vision that we held together with many other people, we have amazing investors and amazing team and supporters, that if you only work on the public servant side of what we're doing, you won't have a flywheel that works. You need to have sort of politicians for the 21st century. And that's what we do at the foundation is use um, adult learning in super innovative ways. I uh, helped co-found my first political training institute 25 years ago. So I've been in the adult learning space for a very, very long time, but not knowing I didn't use those words that that was the space I was in. I called it political training, but it really is adult learning. Definitely. So at the foundation, you really focus on those individuals who want to be in government. They're not the public servants. They're the elected officials. And so what do you do with them? Like, what is the type of training that you do? Yeah. So we really think about our work in that pre-party space. So there are a lot of citizens and we focus on especially younger people, although not limited to that, and especially how do you diversify the type of people who go into politics. So there are often people who come from their communities and say, hey, this isn't working, or I see an opportunity to, but they look at the party system and they're like, I don't know how to engage with that. I don't know if that's for me. And so we take them through a deeply transformative three-pillar approach. One is sort of why do you want to be a politician? Like check your ego. Um, how do you build resilience? Mm -hmm. Like what's your leadership about? And that's where we're really high touch, right? We go deep into why people want to do it. The second pillar is the tactics about being effective in that political space. And the third is where a political and a political foundation um, come together is how to be an effective policymaker. Now, Tony Blair said he went into politics with all of the mandate when he got elected, all the mandate and none of the uh, policy skills, but he left with all the policy skills and none of the political mandate. And so we like mm -hmm. people on day one, when they get elected, 
into the system to understand policy, to understand how important it is to have an effective upskilled public service or else the mandate cannot be delivered on. You can't deliver on democracy if you don't have an inspired group of public servants that have a trusted relationship between the politicians and them and the citizens. And so it's really bringing those pieces together. It's important. Absolutely. That is so critical. And I absolutely love the fact that not only is organization the foundation and a political company, very holistic, looking at the entire spectrum of bringing together community, learning from each other, bringing in really great resources, but also at all different levels of government. And of course, elected officials and public servants need to understand and work together. And this is a really interesting. And I love the fact that the mission and the the drive really comes from both of your very personal experiences from childhood for both of you, which informs, doesn't it, your outlook and the way you proceed in this company. Totally. And I love the way this is what co-founders do, that that Lisa just summarized some of my story. We know, we know each other that well. And I just wanted to, to, to add one thing um, on that front and also one point to your comment about the, the holistic approach. On the holistic approach, we have really tried to bake this in in multiple different ways to how we operate. So the, the company, well, it's a, um, a for-profit company. We are a B Corp. We're deeply mission-driven. We have raised investment from very mission-driven investors we have granted stock in the company to the foundation. So one day we hope that if the company has an IPO or big exit, our work in the foundation, which is nonprofit, will be funded by a big endowment. And in the meantime, it's, it's philanthropically funded. But we think a lot about how our governance supports our mission and ensures alignment. And then just on the desire to start a political, one other thing to add in my experience was I, I worked a lot with maximum security prisoners in South Africa. I co-founded an organization that taught coding to prisoners in prison and ex-offenders and young people at risk of offending in some of the most dangerous, tricky uh, regions of, of the country. And that work was so rewarding in some respects. We were seeing people gain skills, get jobs, but ultimately it became more and more frustrating because the more time you spend with people in prison, the more you realize that most people are there because they've been let down at some point by policy, health policy, education policy, and so forth. And I just got increasingly determined to work upstream of the problems rather than downstream of the problems. And you don't get more upstream and you don't get higher leverage than you have in government. And yet it's this giant workforce, the world's largest workforce, which has all this leverage and has all this power, but for so long has been neglected by the product innovation around learning and knowledge sharing that we've seen elsewhere. And if I could add just just onto that, Kinga, just uh, so my entry point, Robbins was, you know, from an upstream perspective. And, you know, obviously I think about that if you work in policy, mine was on a narrative perspective because um, I had been working on campaigns around the world, both issue campaigns and candidate campaigns and kind of everywhere I went with a few exceptions. The narrative was all politicians are bad. Bureaucrats are no good. You know, Robin and I heard all the time the jokes when we started the company. How many bureaucrats does it take to, you know, screw in a light bulb? Like, can't find them. They don't come to work, right? All of these sort of jokes. And so 
one of my mentors, a guy named Bill Moyers, he's a famous journalist in the US, we were having dinner and he said, look, once people swallow the pill of cynicism, it's very hard to get that back out. And so I was really interested in telling the story about what was working in government that so much works. And, and we talk about what doesn't work for lots of reasons. And so how do we change the narrative and in part change the narrative, raise the field right. of public service to really to really give them that base feeling of like, I'm doing something really important. I am part of the largest workforce in the world. I feel appreciated by, by society. And what we're doing sort of, you know, it's not our main audience. Our main audience are public servants and politicians, but we're helping just because this is a learning podcast, helping people unlearn, you know, these stereotypes they have about how our system works, that we need good people. We need learning people. We need curious people. And we're really supporting them to do that. So recognition and storytelling is a big part of what we do. Yeah, that is fantastic. And I mean, you've summed up the mission in so many ways, which is absolutely amazing. And just to touch on before we move forward, I love the name Apolitical. Do you have the story of how you chose that name? I mean, I can guess some of the implications, but tell me a little bit about the name. Name actually came from one of our um, our earliest investor who was very involved in the, the formulation of the idea behind Apolitical. And we liked it for two reasons. You know, one, it speaks directly to the job description of the vast majority of our members, public servants. Their, their job is to take a political mandate from a changing government, but implement it, yeah. be apoliticals and implement it in the manner that best serves society and the government of the time. And we really wanted to emphasize that and emphasize the fact as well that we tend to hear a lot about the most political solutions, but in fact, a lot of the solutions that we see in policy are not that political. They just don't get right. as much airtime. And then there is also a um, just a, a slight irony to the name, I suppose, because it is by some measure, nothing is fully apolitical. And we wanted to you know, take a stand by calling ourselves political and be a bit provoking in that sense. That's a great name. Fantastic. So you are a fully online business and connect people from around the world. So being online is definitely an important aspect of it. Long before the pandemic, long before people were comfortable being fully online, this is how you run your business and this is how your members come together. But it can also be quite difficult to create a community feeling. And a community is a very important part of it. And as I mentioned before we started recording, when I was part of your some of your sessions, there really is a discussion with people from all around the world talking about their own experiences and the fact that they're public servants and how they are able to do their work, which is a great learning experience. But creating community is often difficult online. What are some of your main tips and secrets into creating a thriving community? You know, it's funny because you can read all of these books on like how to start a tech company and how to create a community. And I I know for Robin and myself and the founding team, we just generally really care about these people. We're really curious about what they think. We really see ourselves in service to them. The technology follows the needs of them. We don't build the technology and then bring them to it. So it was really co-created every step of the way, just with genuine care 
commitment and platforms to give them our voice. I mean, just little things like at the very beginning, when we do webinars, we always go to them first before having an expert speak to them. You know, we always call out people who just joined because we want to show that there's someone from Senegal and someone from Ottawa. We really like, we sit in our hearts and in the, the DNA of the company in a service sort of curious community way. And I think that draws the platform that then the product team and all the digital comes from. It's that sense of deep clarity about why we're doing what we do. I I just add one point to that. And I feel really lucky about this. We have a tailwind because we're working with public servants and public servants, wherever they come from in the world, whatever level of government they're working at, so often bring a shared sense of purpose. And that shared sense of purpose, a desire to to serve the societies they're working in, often at huge sacrifice, but huge personal sacrifice, is such a wonderful foundation for a great community because you can get such disparate backgrounds, but you've got this, this common glue. So that creates momentum for us. Fantastic. And that really engages people, doesn't it? That is often the missing link, I think, that people don't see, as as you said, in creating community is the fact that it has a heart at the center of it. And that makes a huge difference. It makes a difference in the classroom, in a team and online. Of course, public servants around the world have the general job description that they're working for the government. But of course, there are very different governments and very different work that is happening But what is unique, do you think, about the learning experience for public servants as opposed to another profession or another? I think I think a few the few relatively or wholly unique characteristics. So one is that public servants are working within such complex systems where the policy issue that they're working on, if they're in health, might might intersect with numerous other policy issues, say education, for example, where they need to understand the the needs and wants of multiple stakeholders. And that just creates a huge complexity. So helping public servants understand and operate effectively within these complex systems is really critical. Another characteristic we find is often common to our learners is that they are in quite reactive roles, because often there'll be a political window which allows for a new policy to be made and implemented. And things will have to be done at actually quite breakneck speed. We think of government as being being slow, but often key decisions are made in, in short windows of time. So they're often having to master a lot of information very quickly. And in general, information on policy is quite fragmented. That's one of the challenges we are tackling. Similarly, they often move between departments just in the UK to take one government, for example, most public servants move every couple of years. So they're constantly being thrown a new brief and have to really quickly get their head around that new brief. So rapid acquisition of knowledge um, and competence is really important. What do you think was missing in the type of learning? I mean, of course, everyone has different types of learning in their workspace. What do you think was the key thing that was missing for public servants around the world in the type of learning that had access to? Particularly the network component. Uh, McKinsey has done this amazing research, which has figured out that if governments just did what was already working elsewhere, so this is status quo, but best practice, it's not even anything innovative, it would unlock $3.5 trillion a year in savings. There are multiple reasons that go into why this money isn't unlocked, but 
a very big part of it is the fact that, that you don't have that networked intelligence that has been brought to bear on other sectors with such such gains in efficiency. So the unlocking the network intelligence, the hive mind of government, we think is the fundamental problem in what existed previously. And that's what we're obsessed with doing. And that involves everything from how do you tease out insights from practitioners and make it easy to share them with, with others? How do you create social learning experiences so you learn alongside your peers and um, work together on common uh, challenges? Those, those are the two. Uh, th- that's the really critical area from my perspective. Mm, fantastic. On the company, Kinga, what was interesting when Robin and I, of course, when you go to do something like this, you very humbly go around and ask people like, what sort of problems do you have? How how do you want them to be solved, right? And we kind of started off with some hypothesis around if they had the access to the right ideas, then everything would be fine, right? They just could find real-time information on a new policy to get to net zero or gender mainstreaming. And you know, we, we were really struck by the statistic that one third of the World Bank's reports aren't even clicked on once. So mm. there's definitely like a discovery of a policy idea. But if you back back a bit, what you find out is a lot of policy falls apart in implementations. Yes. And those implementation skills about how do I run an effective meeting? How do I communicate? How do I brief a, um, a politician? How do I do citizen engagement? It's the how to versus the policy piece mm. that we find a lot of interest in. And I would say that the last thing that came out so strongly, which just underscores Robin's point, is that it's not enough that they go find a good policy or that they find a how to but they talk to someone else who's been in their shoes. It may be that, you know, they did it in Everett, Washington, so they can learn from it in, you know, in Berlin, Germany, but they want it like, who could I connect with that's done something like this, even though the contexts are quite different. So that's where it's not just a learning company, it's a community, it's a place, it's a place to come feel a sense of belonging that I think we've really focused on in, in a big way. And just, just to reflect a bit about, okay, you asked what's different about public servants. If you just think about politicians, which I think is a structural challenge we have in our modern day democracies, is that basically the job application and the selection process for an effective politician has very little to do with you being an effective policymaker. I mean, there's some overlap, but all, almost all the political trainings or schools or learning is about how to how to do the elections and how to build the coalition. But then going in and actually delivering on that democracy, that takes a different sort of skill. And we're really focused on that piece too. So aligning those two things together has been a real focus of the foundation. That's why it's so great. We have two adult learning and learning organizations that can help each other continue to innovate and in how to do that better. That is really, really interesting. And I love the fact that you're you're touching on that extremely important point of the implementation, because so much of what happens in so many different organizations, not just government, and is these big ideas and the training and the focus is on the big ideas, but then things fall apart in the implementation all the time. And it is that nitty gritty that really is the make or break. So, and then of course, as you said, learning from each other. I mean, I fully believe that one of the greatest untapped resources in an organization for people to learn from each other, what they already know, not necessarily take external sources. So I I love the, the way you do that and how you combine the foundation and the corporate side of it. And is there a reason why it's a foundation? What is the difference that one is a corporate entity and the other one is a foundation? The political work that we do, which is apolitical, meaning it's not about a particular party, right? It's about having effective 21st century 
political leaders who care about delivering on democracy and co-creating the world we want to live in. That work, for a number of different reasons, governance and others, makes much more sense to be in a nonprofit structure. We're not off to make money off of making politicians better. That There's a whole industry around that. That's not part of our vision. So it just, it didn't make sense to, and it allows us to have a bit more flexibility and a bit more trust as we're going in and talking to young people or just people in the political space. Wonderful. That's really important, important work. And so what do you think are some of the most pressing topics that public servants need to learn? I mean, of course, you've talked about learning together and learning the implementation, but are there any topics that really strike you globally that public servants should pay attention to and, and should focus on learning? I think the challenge of the modern public servant is there are not just one or two, but a number of topics they need to, um, to master. But this is something we, we talk about all the time in the company. We're constantly looking at the data to see what people are responding to most, where the questions are centering around. So just, just to kick off with a few, diversity, equity and inclusion, massive topic right now in government that public servants all over the world are reckoning with. And it's one that plays out internally in government. How do you have diverse and equitable public services? And then how do you deliver those to, to citizens? So that one is, is deep and, and complicated and there's really inspiring uh, bright spots around it though. We see a lot of interest there. Now the obvious one is climate, but I think now it's gone beyond developing expertise. If you're working in climate, it is now expanded to whatever my job is in government, the climate mitigation adaptation response is going to affect me in some way. So everyone has to understand it. There's a lot of interest in in net zero, for example, in sustainable finance. A whole lot of others I, I could list, but I'll just end on one sort of horizontal topic, which is the building blocks of a 21st century government. And these are some of the, the skills we've already touched on, but additionally, things like citizen engagement, how you communicate effectively, including with the public, but also internally, how you lead teams through crisis like COVID, for example. So those more generalist skills, which are important to so many public servants. Maybe Kinga, if I could give an anecdote. Um, we worked yesterday, uh, we did a webinar on intrinsic motivation in, in public leadership. So both in politics and public service. One of the apolitical academy advisors has written a book on this and we had two of our fellows. One is a public servant in South Africa in the Western Cape who said, you know, she found her why through the program and why she does her work. And another is a former senator of Jamaica who is thinking about sort of her role back into politics, both extraordinary women public servants as there are so many of all genders. And it was great. People were talking about, I joined public service because of this. I joined public service with this. And then toward the end, it was, my manager is really demotivating. I feel crushed all the time. Mm. I feel like no one respects my work. And I just think for a moment about the largest workforce in the world, if it's only working at certain capacity because just the management skills aren't uplifting and modern and give people you know, freedom and agency and all the things we know that are effective in the, in the private sector workspace and the best research, then we're really missing out on the best of these people to solve problems. So I just think that there's a lot of opportunity to help managers learn how to get the best out of the people for the best of the citizens. That's huge. Absolutely. I mean, such an important topic in every field, isn't it? I mean, someone that creates a negative workspace or doesn't appreciate 
appreciate the work being done, doesn't know how to pull people together. It goes with implementation, doesn't it? It just all falls apart. Does anything strike you in addition to really focusing on management and how people lead? Is there something you really wish that organizations would do in order to make the learning really stick and be fruitful? Yeah, one one thing that strikes me is learning's power in culture change. And everyone in government is always talking about you know, the need to change cultures, build strong collaborative cultures that can thrive and survive crises. And learning is actually an incredibly powerful vehicle for that, because if you learn alongside your colleagues and perhaps colleagues from different backgrounds, and if it's online, you could be learning it alongside people from you know, different parts of the country, and we, we often see this, there are tremendous dividends around determining common objectives, um, shared perspectives, differences, and the importance of how to manage those differences. And there's a, a, you know, comradeship that builds through that that shared learning. So I think um, leaders in government need to see that opportunity um, and invest in learning for that reason, as well as for its um, direct value. I think they need to, and this is where online learning becomes so powerful, support what um, a a very experienced public servant um, we know characterized as the squeezed middle part of government, the people who have never had the budgets to go to the, you know, to necessary to policy schools or to big expensive conferences, but whose insight and work is so critical to implementing any big, bold project. So, you know, online learning offers a, a means of giving those individuals inspired and powerful learning and that's something we're really obsessed with how do we create great high quality learning experiences but at a price point that makes it super accessible to many and then just drawing a a thread back to the topic of diversity and inclusion one of the interesting things about online learning is it's also an opportunity to make experiences more diverse you know, and we've, we've seen this in our teams, I think many people have in COVID, that when you move on to an online platform for meetings, it comes with some downsides, but it's also easier to, if you're thoughtful about it, to have quieter people who might not have felt comfortable speaking up, speak up in a chat, for example. So we also think a lot about how to leverage online learning's power to support more diverse and inclusive learning. And that's something I, I wish um, government officials would, would also take very seriously. Definitely, because different tools highlight different things. As you said, an introvert might come alive on a different type of platform, different tool. And so you need diversity in order to really bring out the best. Those are all very important points, something to really pay attention to. So in terms of you as entrepreneurs, looking back and building your business, what was your greatest learning experience? So much. I mean, Robin and I have these moments because we've done everything from, you know, chair taxis in weird places to sleep on couches to, you know, everything. I, I have two kids. I'm the godmother of her, her first child. We've like really been in each other's lives. You know, we, we've worked in our PJs even before COVID and really done so, so much together. So it's just, it, it's such a, a beautiful experience, even the ups and downs. I think the one thing that Robin really taught me that is one of the learnings that I'm still trying to, to get through is I'm the type of person where when people give me feedback on something, I'm taking it in and I'm like sorting it. And I may disagree with it or agree with it, but I'm like, okay, I have to consider that next time, consider that next time. 
And when you have a new idea, um, everyone has an opinion. Like everyone told us when we started it, oh, this is this isn't gonna work. This is a bad idea. It already exists. What do you two girls know about this that other people don't? And you know, we we always knew that like that that them were fighting words for me. Like I was gonna prove to you. But sorting through the good advice and the bad advice, that's been the biggest challenge in learning for me. It's like, how do you sort through the people who are like, that's a good idea, that's a bad idea? What do you take of that? What do you put put away? That constant discernment and sorting is as an entrepreneur, I think is a is 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 harder for some people than it is for others. And so that's that's a big lesson I've learned. What have you learned and how to make that difference of what's a good idea? I think for me. It's a bit like consider the source more. So like what experience do they have? So obviously when you get advice from other entrepreneurs about certain things, it makes more sense, right? So, you know, really sort out, okay, this is what they might know. This is what they don't know. I've also like when people come to you so sure of their idea, it makes me really nervous because anyone who's that sure about something, there's something wrong with that. Like you must do this. Like, really? Do you really? So I began to sort of sort out the, the arrogance and the clarity of thinking instead of the respect of like, oh, you probably have thought of this or perhaps this might be something. So I've kind of sorted out arrogance in a way that before looked like confidence. And that's been super helpful to me. Mm, Yeah, definitely. And what about you, Robin? What have you looked back on as your greatest learning? Well, again, like Lisa, a long long list to, to choose from. For me, I think it's the outsized importance of champions when you're aiming to do something very different that requires disruption in a sector. So if I if I look back on the people who've helped us advance our mission, I can probably count on two hands, very like-minded people who have, have or have had key roles in government who have really believed in what we've done from the start and who have just been incredible sounding boards and advocates for us. Those 10 or so people have probably done more than, you know, 200 people who who lukewarm on what we're doing. It's like concentrating sunlight through a magnifying glass to start a fire. You really want to concentrate on those people who are 100% on board um, with what you're doing because their passion and insight just carries so much weight. And I'll be forever grateful to to those people who've given us such big legs up in, in different ways because they've believed in what we're doing. And many of them are just incredible public servants. And anyone who says that they are, they are not visionary and innovative and daring and creative people in the public service just hasn't talked to enough public servants because yes. we know they are. Absolutely. That is so true. And looking back, I mean, you've created, as I've experienced as well, a wonderful company and it is very innovative and really, really, as you said, there's a heart at the center of it, which really brings together these amazing people and great learning. But what are you most proud of, of all the things that you've done? What are you most proud of? I remember when Robin and I were first talking about the company, there's a lot of um, technology companies in particular who kind of wait till the product is done and scaled to get to their impact. Maybe even wait till their product is done and scaled and IPO'd so that they can do their impact in their foundation. We were really committed from the very first day to be an impact everyday company. And that came down to how we treated our employees, because that's something we can we can control, to looking to help you know, a public servant in a small place in a small way. We weren't just looking for the biggest wins to tell the biggest stories, but every day looking how can we how can we impact and 
and change lives. I remember early days we worked on um, how to integrate effectively refugees into communities. And we heard that because this group government found out they could be part of a political and share what's working and not working in a, in a network, that they were gonna go ahead and pass this integration package. That was way, that was years ago. That was before we had like fancy platforms and all this. It was just like the elbow grease of putting people together and helping them believe and share. So for me, it's the, impact every day and we will always be committed to that for for me the thing i'm proudest of is that we've changed the conversation when we started people were like you're crazy no one's going to do this no one's going to use this now the conversation is who else is doing this who's your competition and that might seem like a small thing but it's actually a really big thing because we've shown that there's a, a need long term i know that the impact i will be proudest of is better policies that better serve society being implemented. But right now it's a different conversation. Well, that is really important. Really, really good. And so what are you excited about in the learning space? I mean, you were doing fully online, bringing people in the workplace together in a community online before the pandemic, when people are now more comfortable doing that. And learning has certainly changed a lot and is changing very rapidly. So what is exciting to you in the learning space? So much to be excited about. I mean, as you say, there's now just more openness to it, which is fantastic in government because there was a a lot of reticence. I think leaning even more into the practical components, the implementation side of things, we you know, we, we monitor all the time how quickly our graduates can apply the learnings from their work in their jobs. At the, at the moment, 66% of people who complete a course say they can apply it within two months. And we, we think there's opportunity to increase that figure substantially. We think the way to go about that is by doing much more practical exercises that you do in teams where you just get more and more out of the community. And we think a lot about how to facilitate that. I also think there's a huge opportunity around continuous learning. One of the things we hear again and again in government is there's often a great learning event or learning experience and lots of momentum and enthusiasm. And then that that drops off because it's not captured. And one of the opportunities we have on the platform, which is so exciting, is that you can engage a whole lot of public servants on a really important course, but then keep that community in conversation over time as ideas and information evolves. And that continuity is, I think, key to learning's potential. Just on the political training piece, something that I'm really excited about, which I find simple but profound. I think a lot of times we've been thinking about, we have traditionally, I've been running or involved in political training training programs for 25 years, thinking about how do you have deep transformative experiences while you get those people in there and thinking a little bit about selection as an important part of what we do. So on one hand, the innovations that we're looking at because the company is more high tech and low touch and we're more high touch and medium tech because we still have you know blended learning. But on one hand, I'm interested, what's the maximum amount of cohort size that you can develop while not losing that deeply transformational experience that we're working with politicians? Mm. And on the other is, how do you screen rigorously for the type of people we want in politics to sort of bring humanity and a sense of, you know, normalcy back into many of our political systems? So the role of screening and looking for certain types of personality types and really getting at the why, you know, can you get someone who can have a conversation with someone of a different political party? Can you get someone who knows how to compromise and doesn't think that's the worst thing in the world? 
can you get someone who could say, I don't know what we're going to do in COVID right now, but we're going to be with you every step of the way. All of these. So I think it's really interesting to think about training and learning, not just at the point of when you decide to, but how do you funnel people in and sort of look for those people who have those attributes who can then take that learning and be great political inclusive leaders. And that's super exciting for us at the foundation. Absolutely. That is such an important point because so often there's this thought that training and, and learning can cure all and it can't cure all. I mean, there's certain quality of type of people, type of thinking of that you need to bring in first before you can go through the training. So who do you attract? Who do you bring in? Have you come to any highlights or thoughts? We're on currently that? super exciting. We're doing a mapping project of all the political training institutes around the world to ask what our best practices and how can we collectively work together on this. And in some programs, mm -hmm. as much as 50% of their engagement with the learners, if you want to call them in that, are around the screening as they are around the training. So instead of thinking it's a little application to get into a big learning experience, you have a big application in a funneling to get to a medium or smaller learning experience. And so I don't have any like, this is the right way. There usually isn't one right way, but I have a deep, deep in this particular space, in the political space, curiosity. And I think we're going to see some sharing of, um, I don't even know if it's an innovation, just like best practice in doing things. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, there's a lot that you're doing and a lot that you have done in very few short years in growing a political and a political foundation. So what is next for your business? Plenty on the roadmap. But one of the things I'm most excited about is being able to offer the full apolitical experience in more languages. Okay. Right now, we're, we're used all over the world already in more than 160 countries. But obviously, there's a limit to how useful we can be until we're in other languages. So next year is a big year for more languages, which is important in, in Canada, of course, where we actually have our largest membership, even though we're based out of the UK, we have offices in the UK and Germany, the Canadians are the biggest users of apolitical. And we have, for example, huge engagement in Brazil and a number of other countries where English isn't the first language. And for the foundation? Well, what I'm really excited about is I don't think I have to convince any of your listeners, Kinga, that we would all be better off with a new generation with some of the old ones sticking around some new seeds along with some you know healthy soil of politicians so we're really looking to how do we scale that next generation of 21st century politicians of the sort of people that we're proud of that aren't perfect but we're proud of and that care about policy and so what we're doing with that is we're coming together with people doing it around the world to say how do we work together to go faster use good pedagogy, use best practice, scale technology and some of the things we've learned um, at Apolitical. And if you have listeners who A, are interested in what it'd be like to start an Apolitical Academy near them, love to get in touch with me via the show notes. And we're always looking for learning designers to help the foundation help us think through. So right now we're building a module on how politicians can address polarization in their communities. Would love thoughts of, you know, creative ways through people listening to your podcast to contribute to some of that work that then we scale out to people who are trying to change the way we do politics and live with one another. Fantastic. That is really fantastic. And of course, in the show notes, there's a link to Apolitical and what is the best way for people to reach out to you? Of course, they can sign up and start taking the courses. 
but what are some best ways to reach out? Well, for, for us, we'll put in the show notes um, our Twitter handle and a good email address to follow up with ideas. Great. And so if anybody's interested in either the apolitical or the foundation or both, then they, they can reach out. So we can talk for so much longer because there's so many topics of online learning, how public servants learn, how you created this amazing business. But before we end, I just want to ask a quick recommendation that you read or listen to that inspires you in this space that you would recommend to people. In addition, of course, the amazing resources that you have, which I recommend. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for your recommendation. Mine is, uh, it's not the newest book, but it's one I keep going back to, which is Deep Work by Cal Newport. In a world of constant and growing distraction, I think we just have to to practice what he preaches and get better and better at at resisting the the sirens of technology so we can deeply um, immerse ourselves in the topics we care about. And Kinga, um, I was thinking about uh, the role of learning and answering this. And I um, recently re-listened to another podcast, someone that Robin and I listened to a lot, Ezra Klein. It was a re-airing of one of George Sanders, who is an American writer, and he's written everything from Lincoln and the Bardo to others. And he gave a commencement speech on the failures of kindness um, that I recommend that people listen to. And he has a quote that I think so much about. And like I said earlier, and Robin too, kind of baked into what we do at the apolitical family um, is kindness and heart, um, but also clever and smart. And he has a quote that I think about all the time, particularly as we're dealing with all these existential issues like climate change, you know, race, all of these things that are like violence, war, Afghanistan, you just see it every day. And the cognitive load of that makes learning really hard. I know it as a mother whose son says, I can't stand Greta scaring me anymore. I can't even think about it. So um, again, that's nothing against her. We need her, but the cognitive load on learners is really high, adult and children. So I think about his quote that says, when I was young, I admire clever people. And now that I'm old, I admire kind people. And I think if we can do our work, if we can learn and teach with kindness, um, all of us will go a long way. Oh, I absolutely love that quote. That is fantastic. And both of your recommendations really speak to being able to really do important work and to be able to pull together and come together in community because the complex problems we have in this world really can't be solved without that. So thank you very, very much for sharing that. And thank you so much, Lisa and Robin, for sharing your insights and your experience. I mean, I'm just inspired and absolutely love what you've created and love your story of how you came to be these amazing entrepreneurs. So thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you for your work. Yeah. Thanks for being dogged. I know you emailed us and we didn't email back and then you emailed again. And then I don't think someone got back and someone else. Someone <laughs> and Robin and I really care about, you know, being responsive and being kind and caring. And, and I love that you are dogged and as an entrepreneur, it's the only way you can do it. So thank you for, for pushing us and being flexible and finding a new time. Um, it's oh. really, really great. So good for you. Well, I'm thrilled to have you and to meet you. And uh, thank you very much for sharing your work. Okay, take care, ciao, bye. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.